Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. fans everywhere. My name is Michael Atolan, also known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and I welcome you to episode 57 of a Metsian podcast. Uh, just a conversation this evening, folks. Me, Rich, and Sam who will join us shortly, so let me hurry up and get my uh, my partner in on this. Uh, Rich Sparaga from Connecticut. Talk to me, friend. How you doing, Mike? Um you know, as we were talking about right before we went on, you know, as we speak, I'm stalking Twitter to see if there's any news about the resumption of the season or resumption but or the beginning of the season. Um, you know, we, we yell and scream and you know about the rancor and, and the bad PR and, and all that, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't know about you but I know I'm I'm pretty anxious to get it um to get it going. And unfortunately as of this minute there's no new news, but I'm sure that's what we're here to talk about. So I yeah. hope you're doing well tonight, my friend. Yes, I, I, I am, you know, steady as she goes. Uh, I wish everyone well out there, and, and for those of us fortunate, you know, our hearts go out with you. This is only and merely a, a, an attempt at social distraction that we here at the Metzian Podcast try to perform each week. Uh, so picking up where we left our pre-show, Rich, you know, we're going to get into how everyone's doing and whatnot. We'll wait for Sam. Uh, but, you know, we were saying before the show started how, Baseball seems to do seems to be doing everything possible to shoot themselves in the foot, you know. A la uh, Plaxico Burris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they they have the stage all to themselves. Hockey and basketball pretty much had their seasons con- concluded, and now they just have the playoffs ahead of them. But they had the stage all to themselves. Put their best foot forward. Uh, but they didn't. They failed. So let's just talk very loosely about public perception, Rich. Wow. I mean, you know, Mike, is there a word that can be used here? I'm not aware of that word. Public perception of the game right now, everything to do with the game, from the fan, from the owners to the players, right on down the line. Public perception, the word negative stops short of being descriptive enough. <laughs> The word angry stops way short. The the term over it, sick of this crap, all of those things stop way short to describe the the emotion of the fans right now. And, and, and it's just um, everybody's had enough. I just saw a tweet from from uh, Brent, uh, Brandon McCarthy. I just saw it just now. 
And it was from last night when the owners, you know, issued their response back to the players' response to the owners' most recent proposal. And the exact tweet was, please keep doing this. The fans are horny for more of this kind of stuff. I mean, what a great thing to say because nobody could take it anymore. I don't care how much of a fan you are and how loyal you are to this game. There are no words left. Everybody is over it. Our tempers are short because of the world situation anyway. And and it's just, could they do any worse? That's my question. If you sat in a lab and cooked this up, could you have done any worse than they're doing right now? Than the entire game. Players and owners, both of you. My opinion. Uh, I don't think you could imagine anything worse than what's going on right now, even if you work for Hollywood and you have to draw up a script. We have a caller with us from an unfamiliar 973 area code. Caller, identify yourself, please. Yes, uh, my name is Lou. I'm from New Jersey, uh, first-time caller, but I've heard about this show. And, you know, it looks like, you know, I think baseball is in a lot is in a lot of trouble right now. I mean, like I said, you're opening up, time is running out. If I don't think if they get this um, within the next uh, three weeks or so, I think baseball, you can say forget about it. I mean, even if the commissioner says, oh, absolutely, we're going to have a season, how can you be so sure? Because the last thing the players want is to play a minimum a minimum amount of games, reduce pay cuts. They're not going to agree to it. I mean, I really I really don't see it happening. Only like right. especially you can do what what fifty five games. Somebody else on yeah, the line. Yeah. Stay with us. We're going to discuss that and we're going to get into the particulars and the details. And uh, for the meantime, let's now bring in Sam to the show. Hello. Hello. Uh, this is uh, Sam Maxwell in uh, Williamsburg, South Third and Keep Street, to be exact, on location, and I'm ready to talk Mets baseball or whatever form we can co- bring together to uh, to do so. Because I love baseball, and I wish MLB could get it going. Very well, Sam. Uh, to our caller, he hung up, and if you're still listening, by all means, call back in. I asked you to uh, just hold on. We were going to get into that greater conversation with you. So if you're still listening, call back. In the meantime, let's see how everyone's doing. Sam, how are you? How are things? How's the family? How's it going? Uh, the family's great. You know, my mom tested positive for the antibodies, which is crazy. Um, a few weeks ago, well, more than a few weeks ago at this point, she did have a fever for uh, like four to seven days, maybe even longer. Uh, she never seemed to to lose taste or or uh, smell, um, but other than that, you know, she thought she may have gotten it, and she seemed to fight it off well. She didn't have it as bad as some of the worst that you you hear about it. So you know, we got to count ourselves blessed, and and you know, uh, you know, the best to everybody else fighting this thing. Um, and if if you thought that you had a little sickness. Get tested for the antibodies, even though there's, you know, there, they, there's things said about it, like it's not completely 100% accurate, or at least the negative ones are not 100% accurate. Um, and, of course, it doesn't, they don't necessarily know yet whether you can never get it again, um, but they, uh, it, it's still a good sign that, uh, that you've recovered and that you have it. So if, if you think that you may have had it, you should get something tested. You're right. Vigilance is still order of the day. So, Rich, how's it going in your neck of the woods? How are you? How's the family? And how are things? 
everybody's good here. Um, you know, I finally were in phase. We're about to start phase three of reopening in Connecticut. We're in the end of two, where two is where you can go out eat outside at a restaurant. I did that for the first time over the weekend. Felt weird. Um, you know, you had to be walked to your table with your mask on. Then you could take your mask off. But, and I found this to be the funniest part. If you had to go to the bathroom, you had to put your mask on, go to the hostess, and the hostess would walk you to the bathroom. Like, you could not roam around. They walked you to the bathroom and waited for you like you're in kindergarten. But you know what? It was nice to be out. Um, only five to a table. They had to keep the table six feet apart. So while you were sitting, it felt a bit like normal, but everything around it felt very abnormal. But anyway, we're starting phase three this week on Wednesday with um, with indoor dining available. Gyms will reopen. So things are moving along slowly, which I think is the way it should be. And, uh, you know, I had COVID-19, not personally, but in, in my family. I had it in, my niece, her husband, and two kids had it. They're recovering at various paces, but they're all recovering. So, yeah, I mean uh, – we're just trying to make make do. Uh, yeah, I have no great news to report. You know, my brother-in-law was uh, or or tested positive, but he's been asymptomatic this whole time, so he seems fine. And steady as she goes. Uh, I'm still out there being quote unquote essential and uh, moving right along. Now, before we get into the minutia of negotiations between MLB and the union, let's just talk health-wise and and USA. With regards to moving forward and playing games, you know, there's still spiking going on. And there's a corridor from Texas all the way north to the northern border of Idaho, east of the Rocky Mountains. I I saw a map, and I found that rather intriguing. Cali, some numbers are still going up. Florida, you know, they, they haven't beaten down the curve. They're far from beating down the curve. Yet here we are pressing forward certain states opening to greater degrees than others. Uh, so, you know, just your general sense, what do you make of all this, uh, how should we say, lack of cohesion and, and everyone being on the same page? Rich? Yeah, I, I think that's a problem, Mike. I, I think it really is because I, I get it. You know, I get, look at Arizona. Arizona is the poster child right now that everybody's talking about. Arizona had a very low incidence um, from the beginning, and, you know, it's a big state that has, I think, 7 million people, so people are pretty well spread out, and um, they're like, okay, you know, no problem, you know, we're going to open up, we're going to, you know, we, we think we're in pretty good shape here. Well, they are in the worst possible shape right now because they didn't do what the other states were doing, and so bringing that back to sports, you know, it's at the point now where when you see these spikes happening, I think 22 of the 50 states are trending negatively. Certain states are trending well, and like maybe 15 or so are neutral. Um, but with 22 states trending negatively, Texas, Arizona, California, there are teams obviously in these states, and these teams will play their home games in these states. At what point does it be, does it become, geez, you know, that this could be an issue. I mean, it, guys could get sick, and then what happens? You're kicking in these protocols about what do you do when a guy gets sick. Um, I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, they're unnamed, but a major league pitcher and a major league pitching coach were diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, they are both recovering at home. They did not get it from baseball. They got it, you know, just being out and about in society. Um, but I think Andy Martino wrote a story about that, as if, and basically his point was, 
they got it just being out and about in society. These guys, to a degree, will do that when they're, you know, they're not going to be quarantined like the Florida-Arizona plan. So what happens? If the, with the cases going up and it being out there, what happens if this happens quite a bit once they get going? Um, and his article is basically about, you know, the game's trying to kill itself, like we talked about earlier, with the economics. But what happens if there's a, an interruption once you get going because of what you're talking about, because of the negative trending in a lot of states? So, Sam, what say you about the, you know, lack of being on the same page of music? Uh, this is this is very interesting because when you think about what you and I know as, uh, you know, rabid baseball fans, all three of us, um, we know that it seems to come up whether it's April or May, usually like early in the season when it's a little colder, the stomach flu that's going around the, the clubhouse or, or uh, you know, just a stomach bug or an actual flu, you know, whatever it is, we always hear about these things happening. So you, you have to wonder, um, you know, for one thing, it just seems like, like it, it, this stuff typically, this stuff typically spreads, you know, this stuff, the, the things spread around the clubhouse. So that is, is how it usually is anyway. Um, and then you have to put this whole COVID-19 factor, that element into it. And, but this, this is like brings up the entire conversation in many ways that the broad conversation about how to go about this thing. And, you know, uh, I'm not saying one way or another whether I know what to do, but at some point, and especially if you want to have these games, you know, if we're always going to have to be worrying about this, like at some point you're going to have to play and you're going to have to take the risks that somebody could get sick because that's kind of what always happens with, you know, the, you could be, obviously they're going to have to take better precautions, but it does happen. We do hear of this types of stuff happening uh, with, with, you know, stomach bugs and flus and fevers or whatever. So it's, it's very concerning, but you've got to wonder at what point do we say, this show slash game must go on. Well, go on is what they want to do. You know, it's funny. A uh, pandemic is what suspended operations, and it seems like <laughs> a petty feud over money is what's going to stop an entire season. So let's get into it. Baseball, ownership, players' union, what a, what a mess. As Rich and I discussed opening the show, you know, just uh, what a public fiasco this has turned out to be. So let's start with MLB, the commissioner, and the owners. Let's start with their point of view. Let's try to be fair about this, uh, and then we'll turn to the players. We'll be fair about their position, and then we'll come to some sort of conclusion about this. Uh, Owners. Throughout this whole time, they've just been repeating the same offer, phrasing it in different ways. They essentially wanted to pay their players 25% below the prorated salary. Uh, And much of what they proposed was contingent upon completion of an extended playoff, uh, an extended playoff format. Uh, Just by chance, they struck a new deal with Turner Sports, you know, which only through a, a huge log onto the fire as far as the union's concerned uh, and where salaries are concerned. So here we are. The owners are using the players or attempting to use the players to subsidize their losses. 
let's justify their position, or let's let's at least try, in the name of fair fairness, try to justify ownership's position. Sam, I'll give you first dibs. I I usually will take the player's side, so it's hard for me to justify, uh, you know, the owners trying to pass their losses off on the players, and especially going to the the book thing, the fact that they've never opened their books. I mean, as big and and you know, every they're a private company, um, they don't trade publicly. There's no reason for that to be opened. But really, if you're talking about like good form in business, then doing these negotiations with these players, you would you should let them know what they risk losing or risk earning, whatever it is. Uh, it's 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 a hard you know Mike you phrased it that way to me but it's tough for me to do so because even if it's like millionaires versus billionaires these players worked their asses off to earn these billionaires the money that keeps them being billionaires um, and and very well could have just one little moment in history and they could have been these struggling minor leaguers and that's probably one of the reasons why. They identified so well with what's going on with the minor leagues specifically is because they were there at some point, no matter how highly touted they were, you know, like a Bryce Harper. And we've heard because of how highly touted, there has been some behavioral issues over the course of his career and some things, whispers spoken about the way he not only treats other players, but also the fans. So, you know, it, it, anyway, I, I got a little off here there, but my point being, though, is that I will always side on the players because they are the image on the screen. They, they, they're what is, is putting forth everything uh, for these owners, no matter whether these owners are promoting it properly. Uh, it, 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 it's, just, it's a tough thing for me to, to justify seeing it from their point of view. Sam offers no justification for the owner's point of view. Rich, what say you? <laughs> well, you know, I have a lot to say on this. Um, all right, so trying to be fair, right? I'm going to give the one thing that I think the owners can hang their hats on, and I think fairly so, but please challenge me on this if you guys disagree. So somebody said, I forget who it was, I, I voraciously read and watch this stuff. Um, somebody said, okay, so, okay, players, if getting your full prorated salaries was an absolute must-have, non-negotiable point, why did you negotiate it? It is in the, the agreement from March 26th, that door is open, that talked about if the resumption of play happens without fans in the stands, there's a right to reopen these negotiations. If it was that important to you, why in the living hell did you agree to it, okay? Come on, be honest about that. You know, it's like signing a prenup and then say, I didn't mean to sign. Well, 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 wait a minute, you did it. Put that in the agreement, and you cannot back away from that. You signed something that has that open door in it. Now, with that being said, the other side of the owner's thing, you know, and I'll say one more thing on the owner's side, too, just to be fair, another thought I had. All right, so, so let's just say all, a lot of people in America work on, a, on the premise of, you know, you do your job, and then based on company performance, you might get a bonus or, a set, or a, you know, some kind of a commission or something like that based on company performance. Well, and, and I know my company works that way. So if you're supposed to get a 20% bonus, that's the target range, but if the company has a really bad year, 
you might get 17% instead of 20. Or if the company has a great year, you might get 22%, something like that. So what the owners are trying to say is this is going to be a bad year revenue-wise, so you should share in that loss. Now, taking on face value, that makes some sense. The problem is they don't do the other thing, where if we have a really great year revenue-wise, you get the 22% instead of the 20%. They don't do that. The players don't share in the profits, but they're being asked to share in the losses. So that is a detriment, which leads me to the rest of the owner's case. Um, the thing about it is I listened to Damon Amendolara the, today at 1 p.m. as he came on. He talked about, forget this guy's name, I think it was Glass or Glassman's Glass, who bought the Kansas City Royals in the late 90s. And he bought them for $97 million. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you Mr. Glass's performance as owner of the Royals. They lost, you know, any, I'm not going to remember the numbers, but he said they lost 104 games, 103 games, 92 games, 97 games. They, and he, he went on and on about how all these years they, lost, they were really, really bad. So, therefore, the owner wasn't really good at his job. The whole team wasn't very good at their job. And when he sold, and he sold before the Royals won the World Series, when he sold, that $97 million investment became over a billion. Okay? So he said, how in the world... Can you say you're crying poverty? And the quote from the Royals, the I'm sorry, the current Cardinals owner and Ricketts, the Cubs owner, quotes that he played on the air, verbal quotes that Damon Amendolara played. They both said owning a baseball team is not profitable. Well, the Cardinals, the guy who owns the Cardinals today, bought them for 150 million dollars. The Cardinals are now valued over two billion dollars. So it's kind of hard to. to to buy into this crap. You know, it's kind of hard to buy in and say it's not profitable. We lose money, all these kinds of things, when the numbers are stark. The Royals guy, $97 million, sells the team about 10 years later for over a billion. Now, you could say maybe he lost money along the way. So let's say he lost $40 million a year. So maybe he lost $400 million. So, so now his total outlay is 97 originally plus 400. We'll call it $500 million, dude, okay? You sold the team for more than a billion. You made more than $500 million, and that's giving you the benefit of every doubt. So it's hard to give any credibility to what they're saying. It, it's just the value of these franchises goes through the roof, you know, and, and it's it's very hard for them, for anybody, and that's why no one has any sympathy for them, because the numbers are so, so clear. They buy at a certain number, and they all sell at ridiculous profits, ridiculous ROI. So that's my statement on the owners. I think all three of us are in agreement that, you know, it's, 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 it's tough siding with the owners on this one. It, it really is. Uh, I just... I can't fix my mind. So here we are. The players' union, you know, effectively rebuked the owner's last offer. Uh, they've been they've been wanting more games at a full prorated share. Can't blame them for that. So they've effectively thrown their hands up in the air and say, you know what? Impose the season. Just tell us when to report to work. What does that entail? Uh, that goes back to the agreement, Rich, that you mentioned, the March agreement. Uh, 
So here we are. Now, baseball can unilaterally impose a shortened season, and, and they're going to have to play the, pay the players at the prorated basis. How does a and and what that means is we're probably looking at a fifty game season, give or take a few, whereas the players wanted upwards of seventy, eighty games. A fifty game season, the commissioner has the authority to again unilaterally impose that upon baseball. So here we are, the players' position. We've already established that you know, if anyone there, the more righteous in this effort endeavor. Uh, so a 50-game season, the right to unilaterally impose a modified schedule for 2020. And we have to revisit the question. Is a 50-ish game season legitimate insofar as declaring a world champion, individual awards, Cy Young, MVP, etc., uh, batting champion, 50 games, 50 games. So, Sam, what say you? Uh, how many games did the 1962 New York Mets win? Yeah, 40. <laughs> 40. Right. So it would be less than the amount that the 1962 Mets won. And everybody keeps throwing it out there saying that, of course, this is when the Mets are going to win the World Series, so it can be the most illegitimate World Series of all time. And then we'll hear it for the rest of our days. So um, is it legitimate at 50 games? <clears throat> Um, there is the element of why we like the World Baseball Classic, or why some of us may like the World Baseball Classic, is each game becomes a little bit more like a Super Bowl. Each game, and each inning, and each pitch becomes that much more crucial. I think that is what a 50-game season has going for it, because it's going to be so intense, we're going to be so... Happy baseball is back, but it's going to be it's going to be you know you got you better get it done within 50 games, otherwise left out and especially left out of a bigger pool of play you know with the playoffs are going to be expanded. So um, is it illegitimate? I think that I I I I think that everything is just strange. It's going to be strange, but we're going to accept it for whatever it is. And when it's all you know happening. I mean, you know, everybody said baseball was dead and gone, and then we all got together and applauded Cal Ripken. So you never know how us as baseball fans can react, and the public may react as well. Rich, nobody has a beef with the 1981 Dodgers, and that split season. Everyone regards that season as legit. But 50 games? 50 games? What do you think? Well... Yeah, I mean, great point. And you made that point a couple weeks like a week ago, Mike, and that it was a great point then. It's a great point now about the Dodgers. Nobody talks about that. Uh, they're the 81 world champions, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, about a 50-game season, obviously that's a bit different because the Dodgers were, what, 107-ish, you know, games in 81. Um, so you're talking about something unprecedented, right? Um, what if they went for 54 games? So if they went for 54 games, that's exactly a third of a season. That's what I think they will do. If they do decide to be complete jerks and unilaterally Im- implement something, um, so a third of a season. Let, let me answer your question in two ways. I, I would not challenge the legitimacy of the world champion that year because everybody pl- is playing by the same rules. Everybody starts, you know, everybody plays their 54 games, and and you have your your expanded playoffs, which, by the way, we didn't talk about. 
if the commissioner unilaterally imposes the schedule, the players do not have to agree to expanded playoffs. It is not part of the CBA, and therefore they, they don't have to agree to it. You might end up with standard playoffs. So anyway, so everybody's playing by the same rules, and bing, bang, you know, uh, you get a world champion. As far as I'm concerned, it's legitimate. Now, the other stuff, though, Cy Young, batting champion, all those things, completely illegitimate. Do you even do them? That's, that's my question. Would you do a batting champion for a 54-game season? Would you do a Cy Young Award winner? That pitcher probably had 54 games. Pitcher probably had 12 starts. Top of the rotation pitcher, because we pitch a little more than the bottom rotation guy, might have 11, 12 starts. Can you legitimately crown a Cy Young? So if you do postseason awards, it, they would be hokey. Um, I don't believe they would be legitimate, but I do think because all teams are playing under the same rules that the champion would be. That's my opinion. Very weird. Baseball continues throwing change-ups and curveballs balls at us, so we just have to continue adjusting. Uh, what else can we say? Any uh, any outstanding matters as far as the Players Union or MLB and their proposal and the agreement to play baseball games again? Going once. Going twice. No, I, I think what I, I, I will I was going to say that I think that the obviously I don't think Tony Clark or Rob Manfred are listening to a Messian podcast, but if they were and if they were listening to the, the Pulse, the fact that we've asked this question and these questions so many times and we've said arguably the same thing over and over again, and and, and going back to you know what we were saying about whether like them thinking they can you know all right we'll lose less money this year. We're, tra- we're trying to talk here about the long-term ramifications of every sport coming back and you not coming back. And that's the only thing. Like, if, if there's anything that the ML- MLB and the MLB Players Association need to, to focus on, whether or not we've said we agree, you know, we're, we're more on the side of the players, uh, I think they have to understand that they need to play the long game here. And, and I want to jump on that. Yeah, you will. Uh, but, Sam, are you ready to go back to a baseball game? Yeah, I'm ready to go back to a baseball game. And like I said about City Field, you know, 2009 through 2014 taught me how to socially distance. Go, Rich. <laughs> go, Rich. I mean, I think Sam nails it, and he brings up a great point. I don't think for a second throughout all this time Manfred and Clark have sat across from each other at a table and tried hammering something out. No, they they haven't, and you could talk about social distancing, but, you know, sit in the same room and be 12 feet apart, guys, wear masks, just get it freaking done. But, you know, Mike, you and I were talking about this before we went on air, and I, and I think what Sam just raised is a very, very salient point. Everybody involved right now is looking at either the short term or, at best, the intermediate term. Nobody's thinking long term, and here's what I mean by that. Think about Glass, the guy who owned the Royals I just talked about. Most of these guys, most of these owners buy the team as an investment. And within 5, 10, 15 years, the Dodgers were sold. The Mets are about to be sold. We're going to get into that. Um, the Cardinals were sold. The Cubs were sold. They, they're thinking about what a CEO of a company does. They come in. They raise the, the stock price. They raise the, um, the, the market cap on, on, on the company. And then they get out. That's not every owner, but that's generally what they're doing. So they're thinking about maximizing their profits in the short to medium term. The players, they're thinking about 
They're not thinking about the 14-year-old kid who's going to be a player in five years. Are you kidding me? They're not thinking about that kid and, and paving new ground for that kid to make more money, and nor should they. They're thinking about – they have great talent. They're thinking about feeding their family, getting their family a great life. So they're thinking short to medium term. And that's why you see the acrimony. That's why you see divorce court playing out in front of us, because they're not thinking about things that we're talking about. Like, well, why can't they think about Americana, you know, and starting baseball on the 4th of July and a grieving nation being part of healing? Those are wonderful sentiments, and that's long-term vision. That's what we think about, because we're in this for a lifetime. You have to understand the people who are making these decisions, the people who are having these debates – are not thinking about Americana and what baseball means to America. It's not like that anymore. It's not World War II era anymore. This is about, if you're an owner, this is my investment. I intend to make money. If you're a player, I want to do the most I can You know, for my bottom line. It's the motivations of the people sitting at the table or sitting on Zoom or even not doing so. That's why we find ourselves in the spot we're in. That, I wanted to make that point. And Sam, thanks for bringing that up. That is a great point. Uh, wow, teams being sold, you know. And look at this, look what happened with the Dodgers. You know, you had Walter O'Malley, and then you had Peter O'Malley, and that team was in their hands for a long time. And then when it wasn't, they you know fell into complete chaos until the present time when the Magic Johnson Group took over. The Mets are about to turn that corner. You know, we went from. Joan Payson and her state to Doubleday and Wilpons now to the Wilpons. We're about to turn that corner because let's talk Mets news here. They're in trouble. They, they've been in trouble and they continue to be in trouble. And, and they need a seller and they need, I mean, they need a buyer and they need one quick. Let me throw something at you. Uh, Sam, if, before I transition, if there's anything else you want to throw in there about the ownership, I figure I'd throw out Walter and Peter out there to see how. Uh, what kind mm. of reaction you? Well, well, you know, considering you know, shameless plug, that I'm working on attempting <laughs> to, to, I'm, I'm working on attempting to document. Well, I'm sorry, not document, but, but from a dramatic narrative standpoint, how we got Dodgers elements of everything from Charlie Ebbets all the way to Walter O'Malley taking them out of Brooklyn. Uh, and, and so the way, and you brought up Joan Payson and all the way to the Wilpon. It's very interesting the way ownership breaks down to the point that, that, you know, as depending on your point of view, because obviously Los Angeles thinks Walter O'Malley is a saint, uh, but basically the way we think these things devolve from a certain owner that we think, like Joan Payson, is we continue to not only talk about how good of an owner she was, but how she, she her, how important she was for furthering women in sports and women, you know, being, I think she was, what did we say that she was the only owner in uh, that, who got the, uh, who bought the, the minority share she had of the Giants. It wasn't through, uh, uh, she didn't, she didn't get it through uh, uh, a, you know, being a widow or anything like that. So Joan Payson needs a statue. uh, But, but other than that, it's, you know, just thinking about the way, that this this is all this is all the story of capitalism with America. Everything about America can be told through baseball. And right now, yet again, we're thinking about these owners and and the way that they don't 
really, in many ways, care about the game. And that was the case, that was the case with Walter O'Malley. Even though he kind of casually enjoyed baseball back in the day, he got he got in there for profit margining, and that's that's how you know it was it was his good work that George McLaughlin of the Brooklyn Trust Company got him in there in the first place. It was like, you know, I think, and, and, and another thing, he didn't even have the money at the time. He paid off the loans with the, the dividends from being, from having the share. So it's, it's amazing the way this stuff evolves or devolves or whatever you, you think about it. It's just the never ending story. Right guys. You're right. Yeah. You know, and, and the point was that they even sustained success under Peter. You know, but going back to Payson real quick, and we'll end this tangent. You know, she was such a big Giants fan growing up that by 19, the 1950s, she had become a 10% owner in the Giants. She would later become the first woman to ever privately finance a Major League Baseball team. And, you know, if if that doesn't qualify you, you know, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, then I don't know what does. Uh, but Joan Payson's for another episode. Back to Mets money, two things. Their bond ratings on the POTUS bonds they have against City Field, they've been downgraded to BB+. Uh, they're regarded as having vulnerable characteristics that may outweigh its strength. That's from Forbes magazine, an article from uh, June 4th. The Mets are one step away from being rated below investment grade. Here's another set of numbers. Their debt. Forbes reports that the team itself is still $350 million in debt. S&Y, whom they own 65%, are running debt somewhere in the neighborhood of $450 million. So you do the math, we're talking upwards of $800 million in debt that the real Times is still carrying. Uh, and they're looking for bars. And rumors are, if you want to listen to Jeff, that there's four or five out there. We only know of two groups. Uh, and that there's this mysterious international uh, bar. About, about, about four or five suitors. There's just about four or five suitors. Exactly. <laughs> and that there's this mysterious international bar lurking in the woodworks, you know. So uh, the, the five. It's Tokolov, right? Right, Mike? It's Tokolov. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and the financial state of the Mets, their desperation to actually sell this team, you know, the ponderous negotiations of selling the team, not selling SNY, how much more can they ruin this, really? Sam? Sally, Mike, I didn't realize you were going towards me. I apologize. Say that last part again. No, just jump in, man. I mean, they're in such, they're in such a serious state. How do you feel? Well, I'll, I'll, quote my, I'll quote myself, I'll, I'll quote myself on, uh, from Twitter earlier in the week where I said that, of course, it's uh, just like the Mets and the Wilpons to be finally ready to sell just in time for us to never play another baseball game for the rest of eternity. It's just like, like everything, everything could have been and, – and, and it just goes to show you how you really – you know, just need to hold on to the good things in life. You know, remember the simpler times where we were just arguing about whether or not Steve Cohen was going to buy this team? And now here we are wondering whether the Mets will ever play again. Rich, the Mets blew negotiations with two potential buyers once 
bunch of years ago, again with Steve Cohen, as Sam mentioned. So, you know, their financial state, like I said, they're a step away from being rated below investment grade on their bonds. What a mess. So how do you see this sale going down or potential sale going down? Well, it's unfortunate, but if the information is coming from Jeff Wolpon, how credible is it at this point? I mean, seriously, I don't uh, – this, this – it's kind of like when um, when Scott Boris says there's a mystery team involved in my free agent, you know. So, so it's kind of like, well, who who's this international investor? Who, who is it, right? Um, and and then is it? Then he says he has four or five potential suitors. Is, is he trying to do some kind of you know negotiating thing to drive up the value through the media? Is that what he's doing? Are there really four to five suitors? Is one international? Why the hell did he walk away from Steve Cohen, you know, at, at that time? Now, granted, he had no idea that there would be a pandemic and that the value of a baseball team clearly cannot be – any team cannot be what it was before the pandemic because the, the game's in such flux. But, um, but you know, at this point, I'll, I'll say something that I think most of us Mets fans feel, which is at this point, sell. I don't care who the owner is. You really can't do worse. If it's the guy who owns the Devils and, and the 76ers, great. You know, if it's this international person, I don't know how that would work. I mean, how much do international people follow baseball? I have no idea what this could be. Um, but at this point, it's kind of like the negotiations between the players and the owners. I think we're all sick of it about, oh, we're going to sell and the whole thing with, with Cohen and all that. Just sell the damn – one thing we do know is we don't want the Wilpons owning the team. We know that. Whoever the the next owner is, good luck, buddy, because, again, like you just said, the invest the bonds have been downgraded. Um, everything is losing money. It's being exacerbated by the world situation. They're going to sell at absolutely the wrong time, but just sell, get it over with, get us a new owner, because although you don't like to speak in absolutes, I'm pretty sure – you can't do a whole lot worse than what we've got. So, um, you know, at, at this point, just get it over with. Make a sale. I'm kind of sick of hearing about this. It's been going on for too long. I'm, I'm as sick about it as I am about the players and the owners. Just sell it. When we find out who the owner is, that's great. We'll go on faith that this new owner is better than the Wilpons, and we'll all move forward. That's where I am. Uh, just for information purposes. And, and can I just can I just throw out there that when he said that, all I could hear in my my head was Bob Murphy. That when they finally sell, they're going to be like, and they sell the damn thing. <laughs> uh, the just for informational purposes, the names out there are Josh Harris and David Blitzer. They're the ones making a bid for the Mets, uh, owners of the Devils and Seventy Sixers, as Rich says. Otherwise, you know, I got nothing else uh, topical as far as baseball is concerned. If you guys care, we'll move on to number 57. Okay? All right. Number 57 in Mets history. It's a short list, gentlemen. Three names as far as players. And still a short list when you consider coaches and otherwise. In 2003, the number 57 was worn by Jason Roach. From 2004 to, through 2005, Eric Valente. And from 2008 to 2012, Johan Santana. Why might that be of significance, Rich? <laughs> um, you know, Johan Santana, my, I, 
I think of him more for the grit, for going out there the second to last day of the 2008 season, happened to be at that game, and uh, you know, keeping the Mets alive, pitching on three days rest, going the distance. I think of that. I think of the competitive nature of the man. I think of, um, again, you know, fighting off. He, he had so many injuries as a Met, but he, it seemed like he just kept pushing through them. I, I have expressed my opinion on the no-hitter. I, I'm sorry. I, I just can't warm up to it because we all know it was a one-hitter. Um, it was a blown call. But, okay, um, it's in the books as a no-hitter. Fine. I, I just personally don't warm up to it. So when I think about Santana, I think more about – a gritty competitor who was just a lovable New York Met. I that's where I that's where I am with it. Um, Eric Valent. There's only one thing you could think about. I'm sorry, John, Eric Valent. There's only one thing you could think about, and that's the uh, the cycle in Montreal. It was the 2004 season. It was a day game, and he hit for the cycle. So uh, you know, solid bat. You know, guy was a, a decent bat, and I've never a great player. He's your quintessential. Utility player, you know, played a few positions, decent bat, good guy to have around. Um, Jason Roach, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm looking at his numbers right now, and I don't really remember him at all. And I, I have a decent memory for people on the team, but um, he played two games as a Met. Um, he was 0-2, imagine that. Um, so he started two games with an 0-2 record and 12 ERA. And I have to tell you, I do not remember him at all. I mean, and that's rare for me to not remember a guy. But, and we're not talking about a guy from 1963 either. This is recent past. I just don't remember him. Sam? Well, I, I love, I, I've mentioned this before, I love that, and especially with the Carlos Beltran element of it, that it was his hit uh, that was blown, and it was a year before replay. Um, plus, the Mets had had 35 one-hitters. Uh, I've heard of the Dwight Gooden one where the, the Ray Knight bobble could have possibly been listed as, a, as a, uh, an error, but it was listed as a hit and standard instead. I think it was like 1986, and Gooden made it into like the seventh or eighth inning, maybe even the eighth inning. I, I forget. Maybe you guys can shed some light on that one. But that, that's one of the things that, of course, the only no-hitter so far in New York Mets history is a one-hitter because they have 35 one-hitters. Prior to this, they had 35 one-hitters without adding a no-hitter. And so I think it all works within the narrative, and especially if you, you guys remember, besides the fact that Santana had pitched a shutout uh, against San Diego the week before with Mike Nickius' grand slam that I also witnessed a uh, week before. But I, I think that what, exactly what Rich is talking about with Johan Santana, that game – means so much from his own personal history, the way he was battling back. And remember how many different, uh, besides the pitch count that, that everybody focuses on regarding that specific game, and I really think it was the twisted ankle that did him in that season against the Cubs later on, um, you, you look at, at how, grit, how the narrative was just how he was battling back from the shoulder injury and we had to, to you know, really pay attention to that and Terry Collins every game had to make sure that he wasn't pushing him too hard and and it, it, he gave his all whether it was for the the Mets exclusively or whether it was just because he was that kind of athlete he gave his all and he made history that night and 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 in 2008 uh he he's going to be a big part of 
the memory of the Mets for a very long time. And I'm glad to say that he definitely takes number 57 in my book. You know what? You brought up Terry Collins. Let's go back to the no hand. 134 pitches. Today, you know, we, oh, 134 pitches, but when we were growing up, that meant absolutely nothing to us. Did Terry Collins do the right thing June 1st, 2012, Rich? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I have to say no, Mike. I I just have to say no. Because, you know, as a manager, you're tasked with, you're tasked with, Thinking about the, at least what we talked about earlier, more the in, what's best for the team. He was thinking about Johan and getting a no hitter, and that's fine if you're at you know 98 pitches, 105 pitches. But at what point does reason kick in? You know, at one at what point does you know what I, I can't do this? I I can't let this guy absolutely go out there and throw his arm out. And you saw what happened. Um, in the history of baseball, there have been team no hitters. I mean, I remember watching one. You know, I remember the one with the Astros against the Yankees. And I think it was the 2003 season. I believe there were seven Astros pitchers who combined for that no hitter. I believe it was seven, and Billy Wagner closed it out. I mean, you can have a team no hitter. Um, so I get it. You know, first no hitter, and and um, you know the the hype of the whole thing. I think Terry Collins got caught up in that, wasn't doing what the manager is supposed to do, which is see the slightly bigger picture. And and I think it was the wrong decision. And, again, I'll, I, I'll say it because I have to say it since we're sort of on this topic tangentially. Letting the fans and letting Matt Harvey dictate, Matt Harvey going out for the ninth inning of game five, was another just – it was another – that is not your job. Your job is to be the adult in the room. Another colossal gaffe, and I think the Santana thing was another gaffe on Terry's part, my opinion. Well, let me just uh, let me let me go, let me go there with that though. But like you know, Terry at the time he doesn't know that the blown call has happened, so he doesn't know that it's technically a one hitter or whatever. And then I pulled up the list here. Are you really going to be uh, trusting Elvin Ramirez to finish that game, or Justin Hampson, or Ramon Ramirez? That was the that was who I think was up in the bullpen at the time. <laughs> and you know, I'm there. I I'm in the stands. You know, I want to see that no hitter and. I just couldn't believe that I intersected that as as a Mets fan. Um, uh, it, 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 Adam Wainwright was on the mound. Uh, we had eight hits. We had eight runs. And Gary Carter ran onto the field. Obviously, that specific fan who was wearing that jersey is never going to be welcomed back into City Field ever again. But there was something very spiritual for me with that entire game and the way it played into that that baseball numerology that we game like that we like to play and I could go down the rabbit hole with you about Babe Ruth and and the 2004 Red Sox and what I picked up on on that those some symbolic things um so that's my that's that's where I, I just I I feel very in tune with that no hitter and I think it was meant to be and I you know Terry Collins you know he's an old school guy. He's he's playing by his heart, and and, and that's the. Uh, I think that was the correct decision to go. He walked five that day, uh, and he wasn't exactly facing the gas house gang, you know. But uh, it is what it is. A one hitter, a no hon, whichever way you decide, you know, whichever way you see it is fine with me. Uh, you know, pre 
free replay, I'm, I'm okay with baseball gaffes and mistakes. You know, it it's, uh, makes for a nice story. Everyone gets screwed along the way. It gets spread out over time. <laughs> I just can't help but make fun of the situation. I hate replay stuff. That's my point. John, hey, John Rouch is another name. John Rouch is going to finish that game out for you without a hit? Yeah, I'll think about that for a second. Otherwise, I have no more outstanding issues. Gentlemen, to you, going once. Otherwise, we'll get to our final word. Going once. Going twice. Sold. We will move on to our final word. Rich, uh, glad to hear everything is well with you. You know, continue marching on. And uh, let's see if we can get back to normalcy as close as possible. So let's say you, my friend. Uh, final word. You know, I, I, I can't say it again that it's an important week for baseball. I'm sick of it. So uh, my final word is go. That's it. Two letters, go. Whatever the season's going to be, if it's going to be 54 games, you see Heyman sing today where he said um, he said that slight good news for baseball, that if the owners implement a season, it'll start with a five and not a four. Okay. So whatever it is at this point, you, the hand-wringing is over. The public divorce court is over. Just let's go. Whatever the number is, let's get the guys in camp. Let's get started, and let's go. Sam, I know you're out there every day as well. Did you safety and health? So what say you? Thank you, sir. And I bid safety health to you and your family as well. Um, I, I, I mean, I think that we all have the same last word. Let's go. Let's get this going. One way or another, let's hear some good news. And, I mean, you know, this has not been the narrative with any of the other sports. At no point, it just every time baseball seems to take two steps forward, they seem to take three steps back when it comes to public labor negotiations. Stop repeating history, you guys. Let's get this thing done. Mine is ponderous. I love that word. All this time, months have gone by, and these guys couldn't strike a deal. That's ponderous. How infantile. How childish how small they had the stage to themselves and instead of putting their their best foot forward then they stepped in a big old pile of you know what dummies uh you know i like to wait and see how the story unfolds well now that we're here now that the players have thrown their hands up in the air and said you know what go ahead impose a schedule and just tell us when to report to work. Now that we have gotten to this point and it seems like they're going to play, the story has been written. And to me, this is just completely ponderous. Baseball gets a big, fat F. Unbelievable. Will I enjoy the 50 games? The best I can. And I hope everyone out there listening, hope uh, you know, I hope you enjoy them best you can. So that being said, on behalf of my partners, Sam and Rich, we wish you well, goodness, safety, and health. Thank you for tuning in to episode 57 of a Metsian podcast. And gentlemen, let's just go into this together. Let's uh, good night and a hearty let's go Mets on three. One, two, three. Let's, let's go. Go. Mets. Mets. <laughs>
everybody. We'll reconvene, we'll reconvene next week. Uh, to the caller who called in, I wish you would have stayed on, but thank you for calling in. Otherwise, good night, everyone. Wish you health. Later, all. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.